The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So I wanted to tell you about a fascinating book uh, by Ara Nazarian, and it's called Big Gods, How Religion Transformed Cooperation and Conflict. And Nazarian is a psychologist at the University of British Columbia. And so they ran a series of experiments on their students to see how students responded to particular things. And there are four that I find really interesting. The first had to do with the power of anonymity and whether that had an effect on people's behavior. So they took this group of students and they split them in two groups. And one group, they gave a pair of clear glasses. And to the other group, they gave sunglasses. And they told them that this was for product review and product demonstration, but they were also running another experiment because they gave each of the students $6 that they could share with anyone that they wanted to. And so they sent them out and they could found a stranger and the group that wore clear glasses on average gave away $2.71 of their $6. The group of students wearing sunglasses gave away an average of $1.66, which made them wonder, like, like, is the power of being unrecognized and maybe unrecognizable, what's the power that that has on our own generosity? So they did some other experiments. In one experiment, researchers were given the opportunity, gave students the opportunity to cheat on a test. And they took one group and they put them in a very dimly lit room and the other in a brightly lit room. And you know what they discovered? The kids in the dimly lit room cheated. And the ones in the brightly lit room didn't do near as much. So in a third experiment, they wanted to test something they call the dictator game, in which each student was given $10 and the opportunity to share it with anyone, any anonymous stranger. But before leaving, they split them into groups and one group, just for a split second on a screen, saw a pair of eyes. And the other group saw a different image. You know what happened? Those who were exposed to the eyes gave 55 cents more on average than those who saw a different picture. And so they ran another experiment. They put a coffee pot in the hall and they just put the pot out there. It's for anybody. You just pay for your coffee and go. No one was there. There's was no register. Just one of those little cans where you pay for coffee. And they were trying to see who would pay for coffee. And so some weeks they put up a poster of two eyes looking down at the coffee pot. And other weeks, they had a different image, sometimes just a picture of a flower. And what they discovered is the weeks that it was the picture of the eyes hanging on the wall, that on average, people were almost three times more likely to pay for their coffee. And so, Aaron Noren Zion says this, he said, watched people are nice people. But he wasn't the only one that looked at the study and looked at all of the tentacles of the study. And so Jonathan Sachs writes this about Nazarian's study. He says, this is 
part of what makes religion a force for honesty and altruistic behavior. The belief that God sees what we do. Less obvious in the experimental finding that what, that what makes the difference to the way we behave is not simply what we believe, but rather the fact of being reminded what we believe. Here's a quirk in human behavior. We actually do not behave according to our beliefs. We behave according to being reminded of our beliefs. It's when we are reminded what we believe and why we believe it. That's when we behave better. And you know who knows this better than anybody? Parents. Because if you've raised kids, if you've been around kids, maybe you're a teacher, if you've ever been around folks who are in development, you can have all sorts of guidelines and rules and structures. And guess what your kids do? Forget. And you have to say, didn't, how many of you have said this? Didn't I tell you? Do you remember when we discussed? This has been a rule for, our girls have had one consistent chore through their life. Some have come up and some have gone away. They were too young, they were too old for certain things. But here's what has been a staple in our house from the beginning, unloading the dishwasher. They have unloaded the dishwasher every day and still every day. Guess what they forget to do? And it's when me or Rochelle steps in and says, did you remember to unload the dishwasher? Because if we didn't say that, that dishwasher would never get unloaded. We don't behave according to our beliefs. We behave when we are reminded of our beliefs. So Ecclesia, here's what we're gonna do for the next several weeks. We're gonna spend some time reminding ourselves of ourselves. Who it is we are as a people. And core to that are the things that we do when we gather together because you will be a more blessed person. We will all inflict less harm on the world when we are reminded to be in the world who we say we want to be. And the remembering, remembering has always been a central facet of following and being faithful to God. It's always been a part of the story. That, that's why when you read the scriptures over and over again, it says, remember, remember. That's why God sends things like prophets. And if you're in some places that aren't reading the Bible all that clearly, when you hear the word prophet, you'll think about someone who tells the future. That's actually not what a prophet does in scripture. A prophet in scripture doesn't tell the future. They don't see the future. A prophet in scripture reminds you of the past. And all throughout the Bible, 
remember, 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 remember. When the Ten Commandments are handed down, they don't begin with commandments. The Ten Commandments actually begin with commemoration. This is what Exodus 20 says. It says, I am the eternal your God. I led you out of Egypt and liberated you from lives of slavery and oppression. There's a remembrance. The rest of this that God is going to tell the Hebrew people when he starts giving all those commandments, like they don't make any sense unless people remember that this is the God who brought them out of Egypt. Everything is based on that memory. And that story continues through the rest of Scripture. Isaiah 46 says something very similar. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. And calling back again, Deuteronomy 6.12, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Remember. So when you flip open your English translation of the Bible, over 250 times the scriptures tell us to remember. And if you look at all of the variants of that word for remember, it's over 500 times. You could live a very faithful life to God by doing one thing, remembering. Ara Nozarian puts it this way in his book. He says, what makes the difference to our behavior is less what we believe than the phenomenon of being reminded even subconsciously of what we believe. It's being reminded. You and I don't behave according to our beliefs. We behave according to how well we are reminded of our beliefs. And that's why all through the scriptures and all through your experience, someone will tell you to remember. Because when you're facing a difficult time with a partner or a child or at work, when the odds seem insurmountable, when there's been a diagnosis that you would not have chosen, that someone faithful and loving will say something to you that might sound unhelpful, but might be the most unhelpful. They will look at you and say, remember. It's in those times that we are invited to remember the ways that God has been faithful to us before and faithful to our families and our friends. The other times before, when we were stuck in a, between a rock and a hard place and God did something, remember. Remember. And I don't know about you, but I've had people all throughout my life, probably because I have been in, I've been a pastor for 26 years. I've had people all throughout my life who have blown up their lives. Either they've embezzled money or they've been unfaithful to a spouse. I've had people who found themselves um, kicked out of their own homes because of the way they treated their young children, all sorts of things. And when they sit down across from me at a table, they all say the same thing. I don't know what I was thinking. 
And that's a fine enough thing to say. But when we find ourselves in trouble, it's not from a lack of thinking. It's from a lack of remembering. And to be everything that you want to be means that you have to remember. You remember this, Jesus, this story Jesus tells in Luke 15, where a son comes to his father and he says, Dad, I really kind of wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. And his dad does, and he goes off into a far-off country. And there he squanders his inheritance with wild living, gets a job, finds himself taking care of pigs, eating what the pigs eat. And then Jesus says that he came to his senses and remembered that the hired men who work for my father have a better life than I have. He remembered. And, and it wasn't as if his father was a good man and he left and then discovered, oh, my dad's a really good man. His dad was a good man the whole time. He had just forgotten. And so often, the trouble we find ourselves in is from lack of memory because we are forgetful people and you and I don't behave according to our beliefs. We behave according to remembering our beliefs. And remembering our beliefs is why spiritual practices and habits are so central to developing a life with God. Because what spiritual practices do, things like prayer and solitude, silence, study, what spiritual practices do is they internalize our memory. Because you can't do anything with a bad memory. If you don't remember, you can't function. How do you get to work? How do you remember where you put your shoes or your keys? You can't function. And the more you remember and the better you remember, the better your life is because your memory is driving your behavior, practices, postures, disciplines, internalize memory. And so one of those, one of the key ones, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about this morning, is what, what we have done this morning, is worship. Like, why do we do this? Why on a day where you could otherwise sleep in, you could get ready to go see Taylor Swift, you could be having brunch with friends, why on the one day a week where you don't have to struggle and get the kids up and dressed and fed and out the door, why do any of that? Remember, it internalizes our memory. Worshiping together reminds us who we are and how we're structured. We go through and rehearse the mechanics of memory. So Jesus one night gathers his disciples and this is what he tells them right before he departs. He says, it has been my deep desire 
to eat this Passover meal before you, with you before my suffering begins. Know this, I will not eat another Passover meal until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took a cup of wine and gave thanks for it. And Jesus says, take this, share it among yourselves. Know this, I will not drink another sip of wine until the kingdom of God has arrived in its fullness. Then he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and shared it with them. This is my body, my body given for you. And Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. It's the only passage of scripture that I, we ever forced our girls to memorize. Remember. And the problem is for many of us that we think that we know what remember means, which is to mean to call up the past. That's not actually what Jesus is talking about. The word Jesus uses here is this word anamnesis, which is also the word we get animate from and amnesia. What Jesus is saying is remember me when he says that, that you are bringing the present into the past. You're connecting the past to the present that in a very real animated way, this thing that we are doing is happening again. It is the central remembrance of the New Testament. Remember this. Because once you remember, it shapes and forms and molds everything else that you do, that you have to stay in touch with that or you lose the whole thing. It puts us back into contact. We remember. And worship, this thing that we do together, that we have been doing this morning together, internalizes that memory. Because all spiritual work is to make things that are second nature, first nature. Things that we wouldn't naturally do become natural for us. And when we worship, we are retelling the story of God. We are inhabiting the story of God. It's in worship where we are reminded, oh, we do live in the gravity of love. That every breath I take is God's life breathed into me so that I can breathe out. We are invited to remember. And that's the rhythm of the life that you want. And I love the way that N.T. Wright talks about this. He says, worship is humble and glad. Worship forgets itself in remembering God. Worship celebrates the truth as God's truth, not its own. We remember as the Old Testament invites us to over and over again so that we do not forget what God has already done and what God is doing because we are very forgetful people. That's only one aspect of what it means to remember. It actually also means to remember ourselves. So when I was a kid, uh, there was a really popular toy that I never had either because I didn't want one or because my parents were cheap, probably a mixture of both. And it was a Mr. Potato Head. And so here's the thing, if you don't remember or can't remember Mr. Potato Head, uh, it was exactly what it sounded like. It was a potato, but it had all of these features, arms and legs and shoes and hats and eyes and lips. And you would take all of those off 
and then you'd switch them out for a different set of accessories so you can make Mr. Potato Head look different. But what you're actually doing, what we're actually doing, when we're taking all of those pieces, all of those parts off of Mr. Potato Head, what we're actually doing is dismembering. And when we put them all back on, we were remembering. We were putting it back together. And N.T. Wright says that the job, the Christian vocation, is to join God in setting the world right. Which is to look at all of the broken pieces, all of the places that the world is shattered and remember it. And where else are you going to do that besides here and places like it? Because you know what I know is going to happen when you leave here. For the next six days, you will be dismembered. You will be dismembered by a world that is so eat up with partisan politics that it can't even shoe straight or think logically. You will be dismembered by a world that tells you that you are too fat or you are too thin, that you are not good enough, that you are not smart enough, that you should be richer, that you're worthless that someone else is prettier or someone else is more popular, that you should have made more money, that why aren't you doing better? And some of the voices will be in your head and some of them will be on the street and some will be your parents and some will be from your kids, but the rest of the world, they are want to dismember you. And it's in worship where we come together to remember ourselves. And this is the reason that for nearly forever when studies are done, that people, people who don't even believe in God or care about Jesus feel better when they leave a church service. They just emotionally feel better. Because part of our task is to remember, to remind you that you were made whole and beautiful and meaningful. That there is something intrinsically wonderful about you. We remember. And when we are remembered, God invites us to remember the world. As a that's a practice we want you to take seriously. So some of you, when you came in, you probably saw this slide on the wall. And it's just this QR code that says an invitation to engage. And it was probably just what it is, like wallpaper to you. But if you were to get your phone out right now, which you all should do, and take a picture of that QR code, and follow it, what you will find are lots of the ways that this community is inviting you to help remember the world. And some of that is right under this roof with our kids or other places to serve, and some of it is out in the world. 
Because when we are remembered, when we join God in setting the world to rights, we then extend that to others to remember them. So one of my favorite stories from the Old Testament has to do with the prophet Isaiah. And the people in Isaiah's time, Isaiah is a prophet who has been telling them, repent, which means to remember. He's been telling them all this stuff about what God's going to do if they don't. And they are saying back to him, we've done all this stuff and we can't find God. Where's God? We, we still are suffering. And what they were talking about of all of the things that they were doing was mostly the worship stuff. They were keeping all the fast days and doing all of the traditions. But they weren't doing the most important stuff. And so Isaiah, speaking a word from God, says this to the people. He says, no, what I want in a fast is this, to liberate those tied down and held back by injustice, to lighten the load of those heavily burdened, to free the oppressed and shatter every type of oppression. A fast for me involves sharing your food with people who have none, giving those who are homeless a space in your home, giving clothes to those who need them, and not neglecting your own family. Then, oh, then your light will break out like the warm golden rays of a rising sun. In an instant, you will be healed. Your rightness will proceed and protect you. The glory of the eternal will follow and defend you. Then when you do call out, my God, where are you? The eternal will answer, I am here, I am here. If you remove the yoke of oppression from the downtrodden among you, stop accusing others and do away with mean and inflammatory speech. If you make sure that the hungry and oppressed have all that they need, then your light will shine in the darkness. And even your bleakest moments will be bright as a clear day. The eternal one will never leave you. He will lead you in the way that you should go. When you feel dried up and worthless, God will nourish you and give you strength and you will grow like a garden lovingly tendered. You will be like a spring whose water never runs out. So God says, what is real worship? It is remembering the world. As you are remembered. So Ecclesia, this is what I want you to know. Worship remembers us so we can remember the world. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.